Good morning and welcome to First Free. Would you like you to stand up with us and see with us? Come to the water. Oh, come, come to the water. All who are thirsty, come and be filled. Oh, come, come to the river, brothers and sisters, come and be healed. Sing it out. Oh, come, come to the water, all who are thirsty.
You may be seated. Good morning, First Free. Um, my name is Kelly, and I'm really excited to be here with you guys this morning. Um, if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're extra glad to have you with us today. Um, we would love to get to know you a little bit more, and an easy way for us to get to know you is to have you fill out the welcome card in the pew back in front of you, and then you can stick it in the offering when it comes by later. Um, I have a couple things I want to share with you guys. Um, first of all, we just wrapped up our first week of Canacuck Camp Out. Um, hopefully you saw the tower out. I know, I'm clapping too. Um, the tower out in the parking lot, that's, they call that Mount Camp Out. Um, we had a great first week, and we are um, incredibly excited about our second week that we have coming up. This is our outreach week where we will be um, welcoming 202 kids from our neighborhood who um, come from all different backgrounds. Um, We're incredibly excited about it. Um, our Canacuck staff is here with us right now. We're going to have them up in a little bit later. But um, an important part, probably the most vital part of what we are doing with Camp Out is our follow-up because this is going to be a great week and we're going to tell a lot of kids about Jesus, but we don't want it to end there. So we are looking to grow our follow-up team by about 10 more people. So if you are passionate about First Free loving our neighbors, I would love to have you join that team. It's really easy to join us. You can just shoot me an email. I will get you all of the information. My email is up there, but it's kmcgill at efree.org. So email me. I want to get you on that team. Um, another important thing, in a couple of weeks on August 12th, we're having a missions lunch. And our missions lunch is a really sweet time for you to come and have lunch and hear from some of our missionaries that are in town for a little bit. You hear about the partnerships that they have, the work that they're doing. You can pray for them, encourage them. And it's a really sweet time with our, um, our missionaries who are home from the field but we need to know who's coming because we have lots of good food, but we want to make sure we have enough of it. So if you go to the church website, you can RSVP for that lunch. All right. I know you just sat down, but get back up. And I want you to spend a minute saying good morning to those around you. We're going to keep singing, so put your hands together.
sing this out. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. sing about the amazing grace of God, the unfailing love as this chorus proclaims. And in Psalm 130, it reads that the joy of the Lord is in his unfailing love and his redemption overflows. We have an amazing opportunity in this next week and in these coming months to proclaim this amazing grace, this unfailing love to our community. And his redemption overflows. We pour that out. He fills it back up. We have an opportunity to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to so many. And in that, in that redemption that God offers, he uses broken people just like you and me. And he will use those people to accomplish his glory, to accomplish his will so that he is honored and so that people are drawn close to him. And we're going to sing in this next song, Broken Vessels, just that, that God uses us, broken pieces and all, to accomplish his will and his glory. Take this heart. 
Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for another opportunity to serve you, to worship you. And we pray for this, these coming minutes that we can just listen in a new way and hear the message and just let it penetrate our hearts to know more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite our ushers now, if you would, to come and begin collecting our offering. You met Kelly earlier in the service. My name is John. Uh, we're excited about introducing you to a really, really special group of guests. So, Canuck staff, would you come and join us up here, please? Just crowd around here however you can. Um, really, really awesome. Great week. As Kelly mentioned earlier, we finished week one, had 145 kids who heard about the Lord, had a blast together. A lot of uh, these guests poured their lives into, into our kids, and we're so, so thankful for what God's doing. It was about a year ago in one of our staff leadership meetings that Kelly came to us. We were, we were talking already about how are we going to reach our community. We, we love everything we do in, in mission work and, and helping ministries around the world and even in our region, but the question we were asking as a staff leadership team is, how do we get out of our seats here and get into the lives of the people that drive around our church all the time? And we had just finished Canuck, and Kelly had this vision birthed in her, her heart that turned out to be from the Lord, and she said, we have this incredible uh, ministry, Canica comes, we fill it up, and there are a lot of kids that drive by here and probably see all the cool equipment that's right now out in the West parking lot, and many of whom don't know how to get connected or maybe couldn't afford it if they wanted to, and she had a big ask. She said, what if we paid for and took care of the whole week and just said to our neighborhood kids, come, we want to we help you the, uh, with this week. Well, that's really cool. It's big. We talked about it, prayed about it, kicked it around with the elders, the rest of the staff, and with you as a congregation. And it was just amazing, the response. So we funded this entire week of camp that starts tomorrow morning. And as it was going, um, Kelly can attest to this, early on in registration, you know, we were thinking like, it'll still be good with 50 kids. And as they're rolling in a little slower and slower, and then it was amazing a month ago or so when Kelly sent an email to the whole staff saying, we have a waiting list now. We filled the whole week, and we have a waiting list for kids that want to get in to come. So tomorrow, there'll be 202 kids from our neighborhood coming here to uh, participate in camp. We thought it would be a great time to pray for the Canuck staff and for this week. And as Kelly alluded to earlier in the announcements, our prayer is that this is not just a week, you know, and then we're done, but that we're building relationships with our neighbors. We're finding out needs in their lives that we can serve, ways we can serve them, how we can help Carmen Trail School, which we have a great partnership with now. So I'm going to ask you if you would just stand together and let's pray for this team and for this coming week. Thank God for last week and pray for what God's going to do this week. Heavenly Father, we are so amazed at what you do when, when you birth a vision in someone. Thank you for Kelly being bold enough and courageous enough to say this is what she thinks we could be about and for our church embracing this week. Thank you for every one of these young people up here, for them giving up their summer to travel around the country and to do this to kids. Thank you for all the kids that were touched with the gospel last week and whose lives are changed and families are impacted. And we pray for the families that are going to be involved this next week. Even today, they're probably getting ready for camp and there might be some nerves of wondering what's going to happen, what, what does happen when you go into that building there on Carmen Road. And, and when they come and they get connected and they begin to have the games and the lessons and all the things that go on in, in Canuck Camp Out. Pray for the parents as they send their kids. We ask that your Holy Spirit would flood every household this day with your peace and begin to prepare the soil of their hearts, both the kids and the parents and the extended families, for the truth of the gospel. And then help us to be authentic and real and obedient to you to maintain the connections and the relationships that are started this week so that you would get all the glory for everything that goes on here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone. You may be seated. Thanks, Canuck staff. You guys can go. The topic that Jesus bumps into in the text we're going to look at today is a fun, popular one with everyone at all times. That's taxes. That's what we're going to talk about today. I looked up the Bureau of Census Reports and found out that there are 70,000 
taxing entities in the United States today. 70,000 entities that are out there to help you give your money so they can do things that are good with that. The Tax Foundation, which is a Washington-based uh, think group, talks, puts out the date every year when we've paid our taxes and we start earning money for ourselves. This year, Americans worked until April 23rd to clear tax debt, and then the money starts going into our bank account. They break it down by states, too. That's the average, but by states, and it's kind of interesting. Missouri, if you look at the state of Missouri and the federal and state taxes that we have, Missourians were 17th, the 17th state in the country to finish paying our taxes. Our date was April 12th, was when Missourians were done. Our neighbors in Illinois didn't do so well. Uh, Illinois was 47th in the nation, and their day when they had finished paying their taxes was April 29th. Now, Go ahead and help me out. Talk to me. What state do you think was the last, was 50th, that their citizens took the longest to pay their tax burden? What do you think? California. New York. Okay. All right. I've heard a few. I did hear the right one. New York was the one that takes the longest. New York citizens worked until May 14th to cover their taxes this year. So we have something to be thankful for as we begin talking about this. Uh, been around forever. Taxes are always going to be an issue. Every society has to figure out how do we take care of those things that we all need together? Roads, you know, police, care for the poor. How do we take care of those things that are important to all of us? And in order to do that, there has to be a system in place, and that system has to work on something, so it's money, and so we, we pay taxes. The trouble comes when those authorities that take the taxes misuse them or use them for ways that are not in the public's good or there's no accountability. All the things that we wrestle with a lot in our political system and in any political system. So it's no surprise that Jesus bumps into this in his ministry. We're going to look at Mark chapter 12 and find out what Jesus says when the religious leaders seek to trip him up, and they use this topic of taxes to do it. The Jewish leaders, as we saw last week, are in this phase of really trying to trap Jesus. There's a lot of fear of what he's doing, of the popularity that he has, and so they're coming up with all the ways that they can to trip Jesus up. I'm going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture with you today, so you can watch as we go through. They'll be on the screen. Follow along in your own Bibles. The Version Bible app under First Free and Events has them all listed. But let's start at Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he would be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You're impartial and you don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw right through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin, and I will tell you. And they handed it to him, and he asked, whose picture is on it, and the whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. They were amazed at him. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the Jewish community, and the, the supporters of Herod or the Herodians in some of, your past, some of your Bibles, they normally didn't get along. The Pharisees didn't want anything to do with anyone who's ruling, and the Herodians thought that the Herodian dynasty had something to offer and was going to be a pathway to success for the Jewish people. But they came together because they had a common goal of wanting to trip Jesus up, wanting to somehow get him out of the way because he was a burr under everybody's saddle who was in charge there. They knew the kind of person Jesus was and that he would look right through that. So they asked a question which they thought was a brilliant question. There's no way for him to get out of this. Are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar or are we not? To them, this was foolproof because if Jesus would say that we are 
not supposed to pay taxes to Caesar, then the government officials would say, wow, this man's inciting rebellion, and they would take him out. If they said that we should pay taxes to Caesar, then the Jewish people who deeply resented the Roman occupation and the government in Rome and all the taxes they had to pay would turn on Jesus. So either way, this was a bulletproof plan. They were going to get rid of Jesus, which is what they wanted to do. Now, let me talk a little bit about the tax system in, in the Roman Empire at the time. They had three main kinds of ways to collect taxes. The first one was a land tax, which, as you would assume, is on landowners. They had to pay a certain amount of their produce or productivity of their land had to go to the Roman government. The second was a head tax, and that involved the periodic census. This is what happened in the time of Jesus' birth. Joseph had to go to the city of his birth, to Bethlehem. Everyone goes back to their hometown, and there there's a head tax, and you might pay one day's worth of wages. Everybody does, and and you're counted, and the census and the, the collection is taken there. And then there was the custom system the custom system, and we read about this a lot in the, in the Gospels. The custom system was duty, were duties that were paid in taxes at city gates or along the road or in different districts. And if you were a Jewish citizen, you could, or whatever area in the Roman Empire you were, they used the citizens in that area for very strategic purposes. If I was a Jewish citizen, I could bid on a certain area to collect taxes for Rome. So I could bid on Baldwin. I'm going to be the tax collector for Baldwin. And Rome would say, this is how much we want. And then you pay them that much, and then you can collect taxes there. Your income is dependent upon how much above that. You can keep anything above that that you collect, and people had to pay it because it was the law to pay it. So you can see why the resentment would be there. If I wanted, if I wanted to have a really, really big vacation this year, all of a sudden I need this much from you. And, and if, if it's a really lucrative place, people were being gouged, and it was very unfair. And it turned Jewish people against Jewish people because you're one of, you're one of us, and you're collecting taxes for the Romans incredibly, incredibly hostile kind of topic to be bringing up. So the tax collectors in the, in the biblical times, and we, we know the story of Zacchaeus, the, who, who actually gave so much more money back when he repaid the people who he had taken money from because he was this kind of a tax collector. So it has the potential to ignite, ignite a firestorm in Jesus' day as it would today, But Jesus replies with characteristic wisdom, and he doesn't bite on the bait that they give. Instead, he asks a question, which is a really, really strategic way to disarm almost anyone. He asks a question, give me the coin that you have. Whose inscription is on it? And they gave him a coin. Someone must have had one, gave him a coin. And they read it, and he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But let's pause there for a minute. They wouldn't have got this at the time, but we would get it on that coin, there was a picture of Tiberius Caesar. And then there was an, an, an encryption on there. The message that was inscribed on this coin was this. Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. So imagine in Jesus' own mind, he was like, this is pretty ironic, isn't it? You know, this is a coin that says, son of God, small g. Are you going to follow the son of God, small g, or I'm the son of God, capital G, here that's going on. There's some amazing stuff going on that they wouldn't get, but we get when we understand how they looked at their Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, as being divine, God in this community in the Roman Empire. So Jesus asks them the question, give to, or tells them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. If this coin has Caesar's name and picture on it, then it's his, but God receives so much more from us. God's kingdom is not just concerned with taxes, with roads and political systems and how we're going to take care of medical care and immigration and all those things, as important as they are. God's kingdom is a global kingdom that's dealing with a celestial realm that's much higher expectation than the 2 or 3% that the Roman Empire would want in their land tax. So here's what we're going to do with this text today. A very simple approach to this message. not going to dazzle anyone. We're just going to take those two questions. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What do we owe the government? Give to God what is God's. What do we owe God? That's the whole plan for this morning. So let's start with what do we owe the government? What is it that we as followers of Jesus Christ owe 
to our elected officials and to the government in whatever country or whatever area we live in. I'm going to pull from a lot of different passages as we go through this as well. So one of the things that we owe our government from Jesus here and in other passages is respect and honor. We owe our government respect and honor. Jesus was rightly viewed as sort of a rebel. He pushed the envelope in a lot of areas. I don't think, though, that we can ever find a place in the Gospels where he broke the law, where he violated a civil law. Now, he broke the religious leaders' rules when they were not consistent with what God really wanted, but I don't see anywhere in Scripture where he actually broke a law of the government. He challenged laws. It's right to give human government honor and respect that's due to human government, but in Jesus' life and in his teaching, we don't give to human government what is meant only for God. We give respect and honor that's due to human government to human government, but we don't give to human government the allegiance that we should give to God. I'm going to jump off and give a little excursus here that's related to this, and I think, I think it is tied to this, but it's a little bit of an excursus that I think is important for us. We live in a day in our country and in our world where the, the dialogue that goes on around politics and around government is really out of control. The incivility, the character assassination, the words that are used, the attacks that are made on men and women who are serving in political office is just incredible. And what I see and hear, sometimes we in the church get pulled into that. We get pulled into that dialogue, and we forget what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's almost like that verse in Philippians, or I'm sorry, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, that says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good, so that those who hear it will be built up by it. You know, except if you're doing it on Twitter or Facebook or social media, then all bets are off. You can be as incredibly cruel and mean and heartless as you want to if it's on social media. And when we talk about the people who are serving us, and I don't care if it's when Bill Clinton was a president, when, Barack, when George Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, if the issue is immigration, if the issue is universal health care, whatever it is, we as followers of Jesus Christ are never exempt from the calling that we have to have respect and honor for those people that are in office. Not, not if we agree with them or not, but as we'll see, it's because God actually is the one who is doing this work, and they're there to serve him and us. So, off the soapbox. Other passages also call on this kind of thing to be submission. It's actually the word that's used. The concept is, is submission. We're to submit to our government. Listen to the apostle Peter as he writes about this, keep in mind, Peter was writing at the beginning of the Neronian persecution, where, where Nero would actually, for fun, take Christians, put them on poles, and light them afire to light his gardens in the evening for his party. So Peter's not writing when everything's going Christian's way in the government. It's very, very much the opposite. And here's what Peter says. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that, you live honor, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So do not use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Fear God and respect the king. And that's the tension or the, the continuum that we're on as Christians living in these two worlds. We, we fear God. God is the one who we give our allegiance to, but we respect the human leaders who are above us, whether it's a city council, a mayor, a governor, a president, a Supreme Court justice, not because we agree with them, but because the word of God calls us to do that. And this is the system that God has put in place. His challenge to submit to human authorities, he gives two purposes. There are more in Scripture. But these human authorities are there to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. There's a justice arm that's expected in human government. And so we, we follow and respect and honor 
what they're doing. Paul says something similar when he writes to Titus in Titus chapter 3.1. Remind the believers to submit to the government and to its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. So again, that tension. I'm obedient to the law and I'm, I'm following the call of Jesus Christ, and I'm being a gospel witness where I'm at. I'm doing good. The words, the actions, the thoughts in my life are impacting people for the gospel, and I'm doing that under respect and submission to the government. This is a little longer passage, but I think it's important to read it since we're going down this path. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Follow along, please. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. That's a really important principle in this whole discussion. All authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. And I like that phrase because there are some times when, when the government doesn't do it right when their humanity and their mistakes come to play, and, and we might suffer for that. The bigger question is, do I have a clear conscience before God as I'm living as a citizen of this country, of this state, of this city, and following after God? Back to verse 6. Pay your taxes too. For these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So there's definitely a biblical precedent for some this common taxation, this common governance in our communities so that basic human needs and responsibilities are taken care of. But the Apostle Paul says that these authorities who are established are established as instruments of God. And that's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because you see and hear some of the things that are going on in government, and how's that an instrument of God? Not because they're following what we would say as the gospel truth and living out of this kingdom reality, but because God has ordained this system, and we are living under it, and even those governments that are not seeking what we would say is righteousness— God is using and God in his sovereignty is in control of, and there's no one that's outside of the control of God. In fact, if you look back through the history of the church, the church's brightest days, the church has often flourished under the most brutal regimes. And the church has got really lazy and fat when things are going our way. So God is a God who's using the government to build the church, and if what God sees is we need to kind of shape up a little bit, and, and there's a government official or a government system that's going to squeeze the church a little bit, which might be happening, uh, then we're going to have to respond, not in resentment to the government officials, but in submission to God and in, in obedience to them. So if God has instituted and this human government then anyone who rebels against the government, and this is interesting in Romans 13, rebels against God. Rebelling against the government equals rebelling against God. Doesn't have any qualifiers there. I looked. I tried to find some loopholes. It doesn't have any qualifiers. It just says if you rebel against the government, you're rebelling against God. What if it's a pagan ruler? Nope. What if they're opposed to religious freedom? No exemption. We're called to submit to live quiet, humble lives of faith. I remember being in college when I first wrestled with this text, uh, the Romans text, in terms of our nation's history. I'd always sort of sanctified, I mean, I'm a patriotic citizen of our country, don't get me wrong, but I'd always kind of sanctified America and the origins of our country because people came to the new land seeking religious freedom, so I'd always kind of sanctified that. But as I really started looking at it and studying the word and, and history, 
I realized that the American Revolution was actually a rebellion against the government of England, wasn't it? It was a rebellion. And while I'm a patriotic citizen of our country today, I have to admit such a rebellion is not sanctioned in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, you know, unless you don't like that king in England um, and the taxes are really bad, it just says no. It's a good exercise for us to even think today. What would our response be if there was a grassroots movement to overthrow the government of the United States? A grassroots movement to overthrow the government. Where would you go in God's Word to decide whether you should be part of that or not? Where would you go in God's Word to say, you know what, I I may not like this government, I may not like what's going on, but what God's word says is I cannot rebel against this government. Where would you go in God's word? This will give some good dinner conversation, won't it, to talk about this and figure this thing out. But as I look at God's word, the instructions are pretty clear. So we can't go back and relive the American Revolution. Our current duty is to honor and respect the rulers and leaders that we have today. Another duty that we have towards our government is to pray for our leaders. When Paul wrote to Timothy, this is what he said in 1 Timothy 2. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks to them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. For there is one God and mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. I think this is probably the greatest gift we can give to the political leaders in our country to our city council people, to our mayor, to the governor, to represent state representatives, to our Congress, to our president, to our Supreme Court justices. The best thing we can do is to pray because the weight that they carry, the decisions that they have to make, the lives that are, that are impacted by everything that they do stretches well beyond my biggest decision on any given day. And we need to pray. We need to ask them, ask God to speak into their work. We need to ask God to call them to himself that his ways would prevail in those areas. If the government is doing its job as God intends, the church can do its job as God intends. And that doesn't mean they have to be on our side. Remember, sometimes the best days of the church have been when they're not on our side. But the government does its job, the church can do its job. We don't need a Christian government per se, that is, you know, rulers uh, doing things like God would want. We have that. It's called the kingdom of heaven. We're living in that. We're citizens of that kingdom already. That's where our allegiance should go. That leads to the fourth duty that we owe to our government, which is to support and participate in the process. Once we know what the purpose of government is, as Christ followers, we can engage in that process We can work within whatever framework we find ourselves in to make a difference. Christians should be active in communicating with our legislators and letting our voices be heard and attending significant meetings, even in serving in offices. I'm not thinking so much being a big voting block and a lobby block, but being involved so that we are actually being salt and light in every nook and crevice of our society, which includes the political system. So with those duties owed to our government, and you probably could come up with many more, and maybe would phrase some differently. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We honor and respect and pray for and participate in our government. But the other side is give to God what belongs to God. Let's talk there for a little bit. Jesus obviously believed that we could, we could give all of that to the government without detracting from what we owe to God. And the simple answer is we owe everything to God, but we'll come up with a few other things that go into that everything. The first thing we owe him is undying allegiance and affection. We owe God our undying allegiance and affection, which is owed to no human ruler, no human government, to no human authority. God alone gets our undying allegiance and affection. Later in this very chapter, Jesus is replying to another question from the religious leaders. And the inquiry is about the most important commandments. They keep wanting to trip him up somewhere. And here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 30. 
The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord, is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and on your, all your strength. As Christians, we give our total allegiance to God and to God alone. Without a hitch, there's no human system, no government philosophy, no construct that can ever give the solution to the real dilemma. Government, when it does its job best, can feed the hungry, can care for the poor and broken, can put streets together, can give us law enforcement that can protect people. Um, but we all agree that even if it does its best, there's that one piece that only God's people can bring to the table, and that is Jesus. That's Jesus, the message of the gospel, the hope that we have of freedom from the sin and tyranny and brokenness and mess of this world and the hope for eternity. So we follow God, who's not a Democrat, not a Republican, not even an American. We follow God, who's this, this wonderful creator and sustainer of all things. And that's where our allegiance goes. And we get to call him Father. We get to have a personal relationship with him. We also owe God our bodies. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Present your bodies, and that does mean our physical bodies, but it's, a, it's a bigger metaphorically. It's everything about you, your speech, your activities, your leisure, your vocation, what you do in your work time, your relationships, your sexual behavior, your location, your thoughts, your study, your breath, everything you owe, own, present to him. That's what you owe to him. We also owe God our relationships. The second part of that passage that we looked at in Mark chapter 12, Jesus goes on, the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourselves. Love your neighbor as yourselves. No other command is greater than these. Since we've been purchased by God, saved through his grace in Jesus Christ, our relationships belong to him. Regardless of skin color, marital status, social background, nationality, religion, we're commanded to extend relationship to people. And, and it's not really hard to figure out what God wants to do with them. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. What God wants to do with our relationships is to help us to have a gospel witness to people who are broken, lost, who are trapped in sin, who are trapped in some kind of dilemma in their own life and relationships. And we get to come alongside of them and talk to them and give them the hope of Jesus Christ. That's our relationships that we give to him. We can mention many other things that we owe to God. In fact, we could spend all day, I'm going to touch on a couple others, our resources we owe to him. Everything we have are his. We have nothing apart from his gracious bounty. And so everything we have belongs to him. I remember a, a missionary family, this when I was a little kid, we're talking at a missions conference and he was telling the story about his car broke down and, and he said, my initial prayer was, God, your car broke down, what are you gonna do about that? Everything we have, all of our resources are his. You know, nothing we own. We hold everything very, very loosely. We also owe him our obedient service to be available for him. I think that's probably one of the biggest things in today's society, the way we run around. We've got 24-7 stuff going on. We travel at Mach 3, and I think God sometimes wants to know, are you available? Are you available for me? If I wanted to use you this week for 15 minutes, could I? Or is your schedule so full that you don't have time for me? We owe him our availability. We owe him our service, our obedient service to be on call for him. So we have two worlds we live in, don't we? We live in this, this kingdom world where God's in control and where we know our hope eternal and the mission we have. And then we live in this world where we have governments to deal with and news to listen to and decisions to make and sorting through what's right and how are we going to submit and be good citizens of this world. We're supremely loyal to God and without compromising that loyalty, 
We honor and submit to the ruling authorities of our land. So the question of the day, the question of the day is, will you give to Caesar what is Caesar's? Will you give to the government what belongs to the government? And will you give to God what belongs to him? And if we do that, the church is going to be able to flourish in spite of or in alignment with or apart from whatever government system is in place in any government around the world. So a couple questions, and then I'm going to pray. Where have you given allegiance to the government that belongs to God? Is there a place where you have currently or in the past given allegiance, a measure of allegiance and loyalty to the government or to human officials that really belongs to God? And then secondly, where have you failed to honor and respect the authority that God has put above us, whether we agree or not, like or not, are aligned with or not, where have we failed to do that? And how can we adjust ourselves so that we can be the kind of heavenly citizens that can make a difference here on this earth? Let's pray. God, this is a a challenging topic, and in a way it raises so many other questions for us. But thank you for what is clear and that is you've given us two worlds that we live in right now. We're citizens of heaven if we're followers of Jesus Christ and have trusted him as our savior. And that gives us our ultimate source of loyalty. And we're also citizens of this place. Help us to be good citizens. Help us to respect and honor and pray for our elected officials to give to Caesar, to our government, what it deserves so that they can do their job and and you can accomplish your will through them. And then help us to give to you what you want this week, to give our lives and relationships and resources and our undying allegiance. Amen.
for joining with us this week. Have a fantastic week and be back next week as we continue on in our study of the Gospel of Mark.